What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Welcome to another episode of It Is What It Is, 8bit.net's news and current affairs podcast. Each and every week, we're bringing you all our takes on all the news you need to know about. I'm your host, Jack Cruz, and joining me this week, he's a man of many talents, one of the coolest dudes on the interweb, <laughs> from OK Beast, it's Ian Preshell. Now, have I said that right, Ian? Yes, you're good. First you're 100% of all, good. did I nail it? Yep, you did. I nailed it. But okay. I can't believe I'm getting all these compliments. I was going to say, are you describing yourself here? Like the <laughs> no. many talented man over here? <laughs> Most certainly not. Most certainly not. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Ian. It's, um, it's great to finally have you on. I can't believe it has taken us this long to do a podcast together. I know, right? I feel like we've we've hung out in person now more than we've podcasted, which is weird when you come from the yeah. internet. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of yeah there's not many people i can say from this community that i've hung out with more than i've podcasted that's that's definitely true um nevertheless it's great to have you on thank you for getting up super early obviously you're broadcasting from the united states of america mm-hmm. in, in the lovely colorado yeah it is very it is, nice it is summer over there isn't it yeah like Still. it's so when i think of colorado i think of like ice i think of the mountains yeah, and stuff but i went yeah. and i had all my stuff in my car because i'm moving from the east coast to the west coast mm. and i had like a chapstick and i was like, okay i'm time i'm gonna use this thing after i come back from a long day of like walking around and it is yep. like melted through like we're talking no melted way. ice cream level and is i just that hot in colorado yeah, it's that hot during the summer it gets I'm- really hot I was the same. I'm thinking like Colorado. I'm like, you're up in the Rockies. It's it's like, it's, you know, you've got the cause factory there. It's cold <laughs> and chilly. and But no, no, it's hot. Yeah, I mean, like, during, how, how it's we weird. Like, I've never experienced weather like this before. Because like in, oh, wow. like where I grew up in the East Coast, like it's pretty consistent. Like if it's yep. the summertime, like it's pretty hot in the summer in the day and in the night. But here it's yep. like, it'll be scorching hot during the day, during midday. Mm-hmm. And then the night, it's like pretty cold. Like you need a sweatshirt out. Which is yeah, right. Very strange to me. That is bizarre. Do you know, that sounds like Melbourne, though. Yeah, it does sound like yeah. <laughs> but you've you've had the pleasure of experiencing. Yes, I have. Um, now, Ian, I know you, uh, but our audience may not. Some of them will actually. There's quite a few of them who will know who you are, but some of them <laughs> might not be aware of yourself and your export exploit exports. There you go. Your yes, the import, U.S. exports. <laughs> your imports and exports. Uh, your exploits. So uh, give us give us a little bit of who is your daddy and what does he do. Give us a little bit of who is Ian Prashal. But first, I'm going to run through some questions. A former guest and friend of the show, DJ Payne, Ooh. was kind enough to provide me with a template of questions to ask. I don't use it all the time, <laughs> but I think sometimes, I think sometimes it's it's good to bust it out, and especially on someone like yourself, who I find. I find you a very fascinating individual, Ian. Thank so you. I want to I want to give our uh, our uh, listeners a little bit of an insight into yourself. Uh, so first question: Where were you born, and in and in what year were you born? Uh, so I was born in I'm pretty sure it's called Anglewood, New Jersey, uh, and I was born in 1991. Jersey boy, that's very me. Cool, very very cool. <laughs> and you grew? Did you spend most of your childhood in New Jersey? Yeah, I grew up in. Uh, the same house. I didn't really move a lot. It was just that one place, and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. How long were you there for? How long were you in Jersey for? In Jersey for 18 years of my life, and then oh, wow. moved on to Philadelphia after that, and then however many places I've lived since then. <laughs> Quite a few, as I'm yeah. sure we'll find out. Uh, now, you are, are you, you're married, kids, pets? Uh, so, that's a difficult question. Um, so, the married thing, I had a marriage ceremony pretty recently yes. but i am not officially married and that's a 
a pretty complicated story. <laughs> give us the, give us the, can you give us the short version of yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Um, so my fiance is Japanese and hell of a dancer too. <laughs> I might say. Yeah. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we wanted to have a little party before we left Tokyo and I had been living in Tokyo for the past two and a half years before we came back here. Um, mm. And we don't know the next time we're going to go back to Tokyo because her schooling, her PhD is going to be four to six years. So yeah, well. uh, we had already been engaged for, I think, six months, six to eight months at that point. So we decided mm. to have like a little going away slash engagement slash like marriage ceremony before we left. And yeah. we literally did. It's so strange to say it out loud because most people like they only do the legality, right? They'll, they'll go down to the yeah, courthouse yeah. and they'll sign the paper and then guess what? We're married now. But yeah. I haven't met anybody who's done the reverse where they have the all the pomp and circumstance and mm. then they just never sign the paper. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So what's the, the plan? Is is there a plan to have an official wedding? Uh, yeah. So we, we definitely plan on having something like air quotes official mm. um, in America, um, but probably not for like another two to two to three years uh just because of how like the way visas work in america we want to make sure that we have everything all of our ducks in a row and that we're not breaking any rules or anything before we do that yeah true 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 very cool Uh, and what do you do for a living so yeah again that's another difficult question yeah so so when i was in japan for the past two Mm -hmm. and a half years uh i was a teacher for 18 months out of that time um and then once that job finished i had already been dating my fiance for the majority of that time and Mm. we kind of decided that if she was going to school here there wouldn't be another chance for me to study japanese in a formal setting unless i did it right then and there so for the past Uh nine months before this i was in a japanese language like formal schooling for japanese that's awesome yeah um (laughs) and we kind of decided that we came to the decision that you know if we're gonna have kids one day and Mm. you know they're gonna learn japanese to speak with their japanese family that it would be kind of Mm. weird if like if mom could speak it and then dad like didn't know anything um, yeah. So my goal for this, these past nine months was becoming conversational in Japanese and mm. yeah. So so you were teaching English in Japan, is yes. that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. To, to Japanese people? Uh, yeah, mostly to Japanese like kindergartners and right. uh, like high schoolers. Yeah. So did you already, so I'm just, uh, let's dial it back a little bit. <laughs> did you speak Japanese did you, you had to speak. You have to be able to speak Japanese to teach English to Japanese people. I assume. Nope, not at all. Actually. No. Yeah. So that's what? yeah. That's the weird thing is that like a lot of Japanese companies. Um, so I guess to explain this, you need to know more about the population breakdown in Japan. So yes. Japan's foreigner population. Um, mm. It is the like the American slash English speaking population is less than one percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when it comes to like people that can actually speak English fluently um, mm. or formally um, and properly or whatever you'd like mm. to, however that means, um, that's a very, very low pool of people to grab from. So, of course. yeah. So what they do is what people or schools like to do is to have a full immersion classroom where the usually one teacher doesn't speak any Japanese at all. And wow. they speak only English. And then there's sometimes, there's some schools that do what's called an ALT, which is like a assisted language teacher, which is 
there's a Japanese teacher in the room speaking the grammar and like speaking to like mm-hmm. the rules and like the vocabulary. And then the ALT mm-hmm. helps with pronunciation, um, speech and everything else. Mannerisms. That is so cool. Yeah. So, so how does that like, what is that like? This Sorry, this is far more fascinating than the news. <laughs> I, I, what is that like, like having to teach, like not speaking a word of Japanese and trying to teach people to speak English? Like how, how does that even work? So with the population that I had, um, a lot of the people that I worked with were like younger kids. So mm. I had, I think, kids that were like two and three years old who like didn't even really speak Japanese that well, to be frank. Um, wow. So it was kind of... I mean, in my opinion, it was a little bit easier to teach them because I was teaching from like square one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But as you got older and older and older, in my opinion, it kind of got more difficult because they had already developed these habits and these practices that were kind of hard to break. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's strange for sure. And the company where I worked at, they didn't like if you spoke Japanese to them. And really? that, yeah, that was another wow. weird like facet of it is that a lot of a lot of schools don't like you explaining anything in Japanese because the whole point is that these kids don't Bad really though. hear any English during their daily life, so they want to hear the entire class in English. Wow! So, yeah, it's it's a very interesting teaching method, and it's kind of doesn't make sense sometimes, but <laughs> but you make do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, for sure. That's that's fascinating. I love the Japanese. They're like my favorite people. Me too. By, by like a long way. Like of all of the people, they're my favorite, the Japanese. God love them. <laughs> God love the Japanese. Um, all right, so then now let's jump into a little bit of some of your, some of your favorites. So I want, you, I want you to give me, straight off the top of your head, favorite thing from these categories. So favorite movie. Favorite movie, probably... Probably The Matrix. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Our favorite TV show? Uh, it's a toss-up, but I'd probably say it's between Lost and Heroes. Probably probably Ooh. Hero. Or probably Lost. Okay. Probably Lost. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good. Favorite book? Favorite book. That's a hard one. I'm not a huge reader. Um, mm. I would say probably... Oh, what is it called? Uh, there's a famous author, um, I think it's called The Night of Broken Glass or something. It's it's a book by Ellie Wiesel, and it's, it's a book that I had to read in high school that okay. details details a night during the Holocaust or something. It's like oh, a very wow. like intense historical book, and mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. like still in, deep in my head ever since then. Yeah, right. Yeah, that reminds me of that. Just I, I was trying to think the other day of books that I read in, um in high school and there was a few there's some really good ones sky burial i don't know if you ever read sky burial it's about the um the um like the tibetan ritual of basically a tibetan funeral kind of thing but there's maybe what's there's a book this is completely off the rails i don't even know why i'm reading this <laughs> but it just reminded me of this of this of the book of another like holocaust book um it's uh, this this man's life or something like that do you know the one? I've I've heard of it. I feel like it's like I can see an image of what it looks like in my head, but I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Anyway, it's not imp- it's not it's not at all important, but I do want to uh, I do want to that just prompted my brain to think about that. I don't know why. Um, your favorite game? Uh, probably Pokemon Gold. Uh, I would say. 
Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I was a silver man. My sister had gold. I Hell was a yeah. silver guy. Uh, fav- and favorite sporting team? Favorite sporting if you team? Have one. Wow. Um, so I'm not a huge sports guy, admittedly. Um, mm. My favorite sport is swimming, and there is no teams for that. Um, yeah. But in. You can say Michael Phelps, I guess. Well, I was going to say Ian mom. Thorpe, actually, or Kotsuke <laughs> ah. Kitajima, if we're, if we're doing the deep cuts. Uh, but my favorite sporting mm, mm, mm. team is there's a minor league baseball team in what? in America. And did you ever hear the story, speaking of news and pop culture or whatever, mm. there was a story about Pizza Rat. Did you ever hear anything like that? or No. So there was this big, funny like meme news story in New York where pe- someone took a photo of this New York City rat walking with this massive slice of pizza like wow. we're talking like a huge slice and it became this, this like new york east coast joke for a long time and now this east coast baseball team changed its name from like i i don't remember its name previously but now it, they're called the new york city pizza rats and they have they changed their logo they changed their merchandise they changed everything just awesome. to like emulate this viral video and it's kind of funny how like meme culture and internet culture can <laughs> kind of really permeate into the real world no doubt no doubt that's quite funny mm. i like that pizza rats interesting good good choice Thank good you. choice um the correct answer is the western bulldogs but oh, of course, I'll, of I'll, course. I'll, I'll accept that uh and just one random thing that you're passionate about hmm hmm Random thing I'm passionate about. I guess I'm very passionate about. I mean, this isn't that random because I do a show about it. But I'm I'm pretty mm-hmm. passionate about anime and animation and mm-hmm. and cartoon and you know just design in general. I'm pretty passionate about that. Oh no, no, sorry. Here, even more random. Sorry, I'm very passionate about backpacks. Oh wow, yeah, that is super random. Yeah, I have like five backpacks? or six of them at my house, um, and it was one of my design projects in school to design a backpack. So I am, I am fascinated with them. Right on. <laughs> um, your religious slash spiritual worldview. Ah, okay. So my I was raised Jewish. Uh, my mom is Irish Catholic, um, mm-hmm. so I kind of got both ends of the spectrum there. No doubt. No um, doubt. but. I think that if I had to describe my religious background now, I guess I'm culturally Jewish because I can speak a little bit mm-hmm. of Hebrew and I can read the Torah and all that. But Oh, wow. Yeah, but I, I think that I would say that I am a... What, what did I say to someone the other day? I believe in cosmic coincidence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that, I like that. Yeah. That's like cool. Like, yeah. I don't think I necessarily believe in like um, a one God or, or a, um omnipotent entity, but I do believe that there mm-hmm. is... There are some things that cannot be explained that are just so random that they can't possibly be random. So my friends and I in high school, we called it like space God or whatever. Like the, like (laughs) it was just this joke we had, but then it eventually that joke made me think like, Oh wait, what if there is some sort of weird cosmic thing whatever that brings people together? Like space, like um, a fate magnet or something. I don't know. But so (laughs) I, fate magnet. Yeah. I believe in the abstract, I guess is the way is a good Mm. way to put it. Hmm. I echo those feelings. I echo those feelings. Uh, and your political leanings? Um, I would say, I guess, like, if we were going on the formal spectrum, I said I'd probably say that I was... I mean, I feel like a bunch of people our age say this now, or in my like my age, I guess, like, late 20s, say that they're um, socially liberal, um, 
and then fiscally conservative. But I feel like I the best way to describe me is like I'm this doesn't make any sense, obviously, but mm. I'm like a logicalist. Like logically, yes. if something makes sense, then I usually believe in that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That I like that. That's that is a very that is a very um wise thing to say, I think. <laughs> and and I and I 100% agree with that. It's in a really it's I've never heard it put that way, but it's an absolutely great way to put it is yeah, like it it's it's I I think I'm similar in that way in that like no, I'm not all the way like on the left or I'm not all the way on the right. It's like, it depends on the situation. Like, yeah, do I agree with that or do I not agree with that? I don't know. sort of like pigeonhole myself. Um, it depends on like the, the situation itself. So very cool. Yeah. Logicalist. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> all right, Ian, enough about you. It's, uh, Good. it's time now to jump into the news. It's time for some rapid fire, rapid fire news. Let's do it. All stories will be rapid fire this week. Bang, so bang, strap bang. in. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, our first story starts on a bit of a sad note. Um, in a tragic event, Seattle-Tacoma airport worker Richard Russell uh, stole a passenger plane and flew for 75 minutes despite not being an accredited pilot, performing several aerial stunts and then crashing the plane into Ketron Island. It sparked a debate on how, in a post-9-11 world, someone is able to hijack a plane from a major U.S. airport. This is a um, this is a really sad story that sort of popped up this guy who from all reports is like very much you know loved and cared about by his family and um works at this airport and he clearly uh had some mental issues based Mm -hmm. on sort of what's come out afterwards and he's he's basically stolen a plane and um committed suicide for you know for what it's worth um yeah just very strange Uh, i think i mean it's obviously sad what's happened with this guy but also, like, there's a. I'm, I'm very, like, I was almost, I'm very, like, baffled by it. And mm-hmm. just in what he was able to do, as not, as like someone who, as far as we know now, no idea if he has, um, you know, formal pilot training. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not an accredited pilot or anything like that. And some of the maneuvers he was able to do, um, and to just be able to take, the, fly the plane out of the airport. Mm-hmm. Is, um, yeah, I think yeah, quite when I read a little bit about the story, they were saying that all the pilots and people who were trying to talk him down and try and like talk with him out of the situation were saying that they were amazed that he could do half the stunts that he could do. Mm. And I think that they mentioned that he had been like using a flight simulator on his computer and like, like looking at that sort of stuff. And either that kind of tells us that this was premeditated where he had been planning it for a long time subconsciously, or he like, maybe he wanted to become a pilot one day or take his pilot's license or something like that. But But yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you that that is a very sad situation. And I feel like even um, before the show, I listened to the audio because they they mm. released audio oh. of um, his conversation with the, I think it was the air traffic yeah. controller. And um, yeah. I, he even mentions that he is a broken person. And then he's saying that like, oh, a lot of people would be disappointed in me right now if I don't mm. come home or, but he's like joking during the situation. He's trying to keep it light with this air traffic controller. Mm. And he's like, Oh, you know, if I, if I land this plane, do I get a job at Alaska air? Yeah. And stuff like that. And it's, it's very, um, again, I'm not a accredited psychologist, obviously. So take everything that I say with a grain of salt, but it seems as it's like almost like a manic episode where 
this mm. uh, people who are manic depressive and this might not even be the proper terminology anymore since I haven't been in psych school for like mm. however many years now but um, there are some people where they have these episodes that are highly highly manic where they have all this energy and they believe that they can do almost anything um, mm. I think someone I think people used to call it bipolar um, yeah, yeah, yeah bipolar disorder yeah so you know yeah. maybe this guy was you know suicidal or had these depressive episodes but then like at one day at work he just got hit with a crazy manic episode and thought that he could do anything and then just jumped in that plane and then realized it was too late once he was in the air you know and Mm. it's like super unfortunate but i hope that um i hope that this kind of opens up not only safety issues that we have in our in our airports right i hope that airport workers are screened a little bit more heavily now for i mean I, i don't know what they were screened for before but hopefully now mm. mental mental health is definitely a sub sub factor that pe- people are looking out for when people work at airports you know yeah for sure yeah it's um yeah it does sort of yeah it does open it up for that doesn't it i mean i i, I would have to imagine in positions like that there has to be some kind of you know yeah psych evaluation or something especially if, like in a, a post 9-11 world where we're so hyper aware of you know planes and hijackings and this kind of thing and um yeah i have to imagine there would be yeah there's got to be like there's just got to be some checks and balances but maybe there isn't maybe for the guys who are you know on the tarmac you know baggage handlers and this kind of thing they probably don't feel the need to you know screen these guys but maybe maybe that yeah, maybe they have to well i feel like it's it's a thing where like screening is the band-aid right but Mm. mental health in america i feel like is the is the cure of the virus right and i feel like i mean there also is a big factor of this guy was i I think he was in his late 20s early 30s maybe like that's what the photo suggested at least and um, there's a huge stigma still in in the west of like people that age and men that age to kind of keep everything bottled in and i feel like this guy just had a lot bottled in I mean, if there mm. wasn't a deeper psychological issue that we're dealing with, like I said before, with manic depressive disorder, I feel like mm. that's another thing that we need to talk about is that, you know, this this guy, he's up in the air and he, I think that at that point he realizes that he might not come back and he's saying, listen, I'm yeah. broken. I like, there's things wrong with me that I didn't realize until literally right now. And yeah. the fact that this, that this man was pushed to this crazy moment and then he's like, oh wait, you know, now there's something wrong with me. Now I realize that there's a problem. Right. Mm. Um, and I feel like people, we should give people more mental health leeway so that we don't put people in these situations like yeah. these. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a hard one. And it's just, it's one of those things that it's still as much as like, I work for a big corporation and they're very big on, you know, mental health and, and all those types of things. And, but there's still like a stigma, like you still never feel like you could, like I, I know people that still were like, you know, you couldn't. You can't, there's, there's a stigma against like coming forward. I mean, like, yeah, there's something wrong with me mentally and people hide it and people don't deal with it because, well, one, a lot of people don't know how to deal with it. They don't realize what it is. And like this guy didn't realize what he, that it, there was something wrong until it was too late. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are ashamed too because they, you know, they, they don't want to feel like they're tainted. People look at you like you're crazy or you're broken or you, you know, there's something wrong with you. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely... I mean, it's an issue all over the world, right? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Especially, I mean, it's it's a big thing in Asia, too. I mean, like, Korea yeah. and Japan have, like, one of the highest suicide rates in the, in the world. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, I even have personal experience with this, not with manic depressive disorder, but, like, around yeah. when I got out of college, I think it was, I think it was, like, a th- the first three months of being outside of school, 
you know, I was like away from all my friends and I was away from this world that I'd become so comfortable with. And, mm. you know, I approached my mom and I said, you know what? Like, I think, I think I need to go see a therapist. And she's mm. like, oh my God, is everything okay? He's like, are you like feeling this way? Are you feeling that way? And um, my degree is actually the base of my degree is psychology. So I was like, no, okay. I just feel like I need to like talk to somebody about something and like, you know, just a yeah. formal third party. And like my parents, obviously from a different generation, were like mm. so taken aback. They were so hurt by that. And mm. I was like, no, it's it's not your fault at all. It's not my fault at all. I just, mm. I want to sit down with somebody, work some things out, talk some things out, and then yeah. we'll be all good. And I think that yeah. one thing that we could do with mental illness in in the world, I think, right, is if you have a sinus infection or if you, like, have the flu, right, mm. you go to a doctor to and then no one says anything, right? Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, man, what happened to Jim? Oh, he was puking all weekend. Poor guy. Like, you had to go to the doctor, right? Yeah. But yeah. if you're coworker Jim is like depressed. Everyone's like, ah, cheer up, Jim. Hurt. Like stop being such a sad sack or whatever. Mm, and I think mm. that if we frame mental health the same way that we frame physical health saying, oh yeah, mm. you know, my aunt has diabetes should be f- like treated the same way as saying, oh, my aunt has depression. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's something you yeah. need to talk to a professional about and work something yeah. out and either get yeah. pills or some sort of like treatment by talking mm. with someone once a week or once every mm. three days or something like that. And I feel like mm. that's mm. definitely one way that we could definitely spin it to be a way that I think everyone could definitely be in a better spot mentally. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, that's a, and it's a really good point is, a, yeah, to treat it like that and to make, I guess, you know, because it's such mental health is such a it's such a like a fragile subject in that like it's so um not fragile is not the right word but no i think you're right i think it's it's it is a a very difficult thing to talk about Mm, but but even so like from a from a point of like so you go to the doctor to get you know you got the flu you go to the doctor give you some antibiotics you go home you take the antibiotics it's it's my fear is that we would over medicate people with for mental mm, health. So I, f- yeah. I feel like, you know, definitely on the right track, but there needs psychologists, psychologists and, and, uh, you know, access to therapists and these types of things needs to be more accessible in this mm. day and age. It needs to become more, cause you can, in Australia, you can get subsidized um, therapy to, for things like anxiety and depression and that kind of thing, mm. but there's a limit to it. You can only see so many, you still have to pay some amount. Mm. You still have to, um, you only get so many sessions a year, et cetera, and so on. Mm. Um, and you have to get like a, a referral from a doctor and then you have to be able to get in to see someone. It's not as simple as just going to see your GP. So I, I feel like, the, and there's a lot of, and, and and we're getting, I think there's a lot of great services out there you hear about with like, you know, there's helplines and things where you yep. can call up and talk to someone and that, but it would be great if there was like a, you know, like a therapy practice where they just had people, you know, and it was more of, like, and I'm sh- and you know what, prob- there might even be something like this, that, mm-hmm. uh, but we're just not, as a society, we're not aware of these things existing, or I'm definitely not, mm. um, where you could just be like, you know, you wake up, you're feeling anxious this day, you're feeling depressed or whatever the feeling is, and you go, you know what, I need to go to see my, I need to go see a doctor mm-hmm. or whatever, and you go and you rock up and you, can I get an appointment? Yep, sure, and you sit down with someone for an hour and you talk, Yeah, and it's affordable, and that's the other thing, because therapy and psychologist appointments are not cheap those definitely things are not. expensive definitely not. um so that's also another thing like you know i can speak from like firsthand it's like and like anecdotally and stuff it's it's people it's like you know oh, go you need to why don't you go see someone you go talk to someone it's like oh who's got the time or oh, it's so expensive and you know these are all barriers that are put like you know no one ever goes you've got the flu you got to go to the doctor no one ever goes ah I can't go who's got the time to go to the doctor and get but no everyone goes to the doctor if you're that sick you go to the doctor right mm-hmm. but there's so many people who say 
you know, I, I, I haven't got the time or ah, it's too expensive to go see the psychologist and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think in that you hit the nail on the head in that these things need to be looked at more as the same way we look at physical, you know, health. Um, it's a very good point you make. Thank you. Our next story. Uh, the world's biggest Twitch streamer, Ninja, a.k.a. Tyler Blevins, has caused controversy by declaring he won't stream with other female gamers in order to protect his wife and marriage from innuendo and rumours. As expected, this has caused quite the hullabaloo. Now, Ian, I'm sure you heard about this. And yes, I have. For, for our listeners who may not be aware, basically, Ninja, who is the, the biggest streamer in the world of, of video games, he, he's basically come out and said that he won't, he refuses to stream with female, other female gamers because he doesn't want there to be rumors started because people will take any little thing and they'll say that it's flirting and they'll harass his wife and it'll, it'll start the rumor mill and, and he's just not prepared to put himself through any... He's basically um, removing himself from any situation where he could potentially get some online harassment. Um, and this has caused quite a stir in the community. Um, some people are saying that it's sexist, it's misogynistic, it's um, it's hurtful to female gamers, and that they're just seen as like a, uh, I guess like an object, or that they, you know, it's also um, I saw some arguments around it being like you know. St- stopping like opportunities for women to be able to be thrown into the spotlight with someone like him who's quite a obviously prominent streamer so what did you make of the of the comments that he made so i feel like this is like a crazy multifaceted issue um and i feel like a lot of the headlines aren't giving it enough justice saying like oh Mm. like uh, ninja refuses to stream with female gamers so you Mm kind of already talked about something previously where he he talks about his wife saying Mm. that you know we, we live in a very accessible age and, mm. you know, God forbid Ninja streams with a Twitch streamer and then people are, like, texting his wife. Eat, like, mm. I mean, you can find out so much about people now. Like, like you hear about, like, hackers, people get their addresses, get their phone numbers and stuff like that. You know, God yeah. forbid someone gets this woman's number and then is texting this lady, like, oh, man, your husband's cheating on you with this streamer or that streamer, right? Um, mm. And you hear stories about this with people who are, like, really prominent in like our pop culture society like celebrities and stuff like that yeah um i mean and ninja has like more concurrent viewers than like half the celebrities and half of the people in the world right now so i'm not surprised that he's worried about this for you know his wife who i think they just had their one year anniversary i think according to the story um Mm -hmm. so i understand why he's being a little bit protective because i think he's very aware of the community that he's he is hyper aware yeah yeah of of the community he's a part of right so yeah that's one thing is that I think that it I understand the the fear of mm. having like a lynch mob at after your family, right? Especially yeah. when you're just starting out a family. Yeah. Um, he's just, yeah. Yeah. He's he's being cautious. He's not he's just taking himself he's not he's sort of being um uh he's being uh pro uh pr- proactive, yeah. Proactive yeah. instead of reactive. Yeah. yeah. And so that's that's the first thing is that I understand the the want to protect your family, right? At any, mm-hmm. at any cost. Um, but what a lot of people aren't talking about is that we're, we're part of a community, the gaming community that, you know, perpetuates this sort of stuff, right? No, everyone's saying yeah. like, oh man, Tyler Blevins, he's a sexist, he's this, he's that. But no mm-hmm. one's really saying that like, hey, you know, the only reason why he's doing this is because we're in a community that like... That's so toxic. That is really, to- I mean, not inherently toxic, but like when we get to large groups, and I think this happens with almost anybody, um, yeah. we just become super toxic and super vitriolic, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
I mean, like, it even happens with female streamers, like, now. Like, even if they're not wearing anything provocative, people will, yeah. like, slam them with messages saying that they're, like, a, a slut or something like that. Even though yeah. they're, even though their stream is not related at all to sex or anything like that. And Doxing them and these types of things. and Yeah, yeah I, th- I think no one's really talking about that in the Twitch community. Like, oh, you know... Mm. Everyone's saying it's Tyler's fault, which I mean, he does share some of the blame for this because he is the mm. the the largest Instagram. voice, uh, yeah. largest voice on that platform, right? And I think that yeah. by being the largest voice, you definitely have the ability to kind of steer the narrative if you're if you're mm. that popular. Um, mm-hmm. But I do understand that you know it's really he came to a platform that I, that was already established and was already inherently sort of. Mm. Or that had the possibility of being toxic. So I understand that he was yeah. very nervous about that. I think that yeah. if I was Ninja, and obviously I'm not, um, I would have been like, I'm apprehensive about streaming with female people because of this issue. And this, and I think that mm. we as a Twitch community should talk about it. I think that would mm. be a way better like framing of the story. Because in the end of the day, it's his choice. He can stream with whoever he wants. And, and I don't think he necessarily needed to put all of his cards out on the table. Because... Now everyone's furious at him because he he spoke in this very absolute way. He's like, I'm never streaming with women ever, no matter what the context. Like, yeah. And I think that really he really boxed himself into a corner here instead of saying like, Hey guys, we're part of this community that is very that is very toxic at times, and I want to make sure that the family that I'm starting is safe and protected and and is aware that you know things can be bad for women on the platform. Mm. So yeah, what do you think about this whole thing? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I, I'm. I would. Uh, people sort of jumped straight on that that outrage train right as soon as this came out, and and you know, and you're right. They they, which often happens is that people they get they grab the headline and they ignore the information. They don't actually read the story. They don't look into it. No one does their research. They just go, Ninja doesn't want to stream with women, and then like, oh, sexist, misogynist, and they read like the the surface level stuff they don't do any research and everyone jumps on the hate train um and i, I you know obviously I've, I've had to do some research of this because we want to talk about it and i i tend to agree like i i think and knowing like ninja and not i don't not knowing ninja but knowing <laughs> of his previous like he's always been very hyper aware about everything like about he's like i'm not gonna there was a point you know not long ago where he's like i'm not swearing anymore on stream Mm-hmm. Like I'm just I'm not doing it because I know that I've got younger audiences. I know that I've got families that want to watch. They want to share this with their kids. I know that there's there's young kids watching me that their parents might not want them to watch me if I'm swearing. So he's always been very hyper aware of his audience and who he's broadcasting to, um, which I've always respected because uh, that's um, in entertainment. That's almost you know your audience is your most popular is your most um, important sort of asset. They make you or break you, basically. Um, and for this, I can sort of see... I mean, I get the devil's advocate part of it and where, like, he... Yeah, as a pers- person in his position of power, he could definitely be a beacon and steer the narrative, but I, I don't think you can blame the guy for just being like, you know what? I'm just a dude, and I just want to... Pro- I love my wife, and I want to protect my wife. It's not about... And I, I saw some people trying to spin this in a way to say that he's like, oh, he, you know, he's... It's like... um. You know, when, so the Me Too movement started, mm-hmm. people sort of, you know, you hear idiots making the arguments like, oh, I can't be alone with this woman because she might Me Too me. And people trying to <laughs> yeah. sort of use that correlation with this story with Ninja and sort of saying like, oh, he's not streaming with, he doesn't want to stream with women because he can't trust himself to not flirt and 
harass them or whatever. It's like, no, that's not what it is. He's just hyper aware of the way that things are taken out of context Mm -hmm. in every situation possible. And how large his audience is, is obviously going to be a portion of that that can do be damaging in that way and toxic in that way. It's just the nature of, that's just numbers, right? That's Mm -hmm. just math. Um, and so he, I, I can't, like, I, you can't, like, it's hard to blame the guy. He's just being cautious and protective of his family. And I, you know, yeah, more power to him, man. Like, everyone's yeah. got their responsibilities and their things that they, you know, they're passionate about. And he, you know, it's his prerogative to do what he sees fit. And he could have easily, you know, it could have gone either way. He could have been like, no, nah, this is what I stand for. And I'm not going to, and I'm you know, not, but he's, what he stands for is protecting his wife and his family. And I can't. I mean, yeah, you have you have a, a wife and kid too, so I imagine that's definitely priority number one. Um, Absolutely. But there's one thing that I got out of this that I think is a positive, is that um, around the time, I mean, you probably were doing this show around that time, actually, the Logan mm. Paul Japan stuff. Yes. Right? Yeah, that was a fun yeah, time. Yeah. But out yeah, of that conversation, yeah. a lot of the Japanese community was saying, you know, this guy is an idiot, but I'm glad that he did this dumb thing because now everyone's talking about this massive issue that we weren't really talking about earlier. Right. Mm. And I think that, you know, as even though this current situation with Tyler Blevins Ninja is bad, right. Mm. You know, him, not him being the largest voice in the platform, 10 million viewers or whatever, um, or 10 million subscribers is like a huge negative for women. I think it actually gets us talking about, you know, the current state of the Twitch community and why we're in a place where someone that big can't, or, or it's it's possibly damaging for this person's livelihood or life if they stream with women, possibly, mm. right? And I feel like yeah. that, that kind of gets us talking about we what we can do as a community to kind of lift each other up. And, you know, maybe we should have streams that are more focused on women, you know, women playing with women or like, you know, oh, like yeah. maybe these days we should put more female creators up on a platform, you know what I mean? Like we need to talk yeah. about how we can lift each other up even though the, the system is flawed, you know? And I think that that's a good thing that we can get out of this story in the end of the day. Yeah, hundred percent. And there's some fantastic things happening in the industry, especially here in Australia. We've got some great initiatives. There's um, Woman's, which is Woman NZ, so like ANZ, oh, Australia okay. and New Zealand. So, so women in gaming group. It's exclusively it's for streamers and and women involved in games. It's a fantastic initiative run by Nazy, who's a great Australian streamer. We had her on on You Game Bro um, a few weeks ago. She's great. Um, there was the Women in Games Awards a few nights ago, um, run by MCV or MVC. I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher their name. <laughs> um, we, so there are, and, and that's the thing. Like, there's some great stuff happening out in there in the community that you know people people should focus on that and and uh, rather than like people latch onto the negative. You know, it's just I guess it's just the human nature, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. And our next story. Cadder's Australian Party Senator from Queensland, Fraser Anning, has caused quite the uproar after his maiden speech in Parliament has fallen a little flat. After calling for a Trump-esque Muslim ban and uh, using the term final solution during the speech, understandably so, Anning has been condemned for his words. So, to give you a snapshot, uh, Senator from Queensland has basically given a speech in Parliament calling for tighter uh, or a return to the um, white Australia Ooh, policy. That's fun. Um, yeah, which yeah, <laughs> speak sort of Jeez. speaks for itself. Is is you know the quintessential uh, ignorant racist speech talking mm-hmm. about you know. Uh, 
typical things you would think of. Like I, I could read, it's like it's like cue cards for ignorance. So like, <laughs> oh, not all Muslims are terrorists, but all terrorists are Muslims and that kind oh, of thing. Great. And yeah, so yeah. absolutely disgraceful. And then to use the term final solution was just Ooh. obviously has little slight negative connotations um, used by was once used by um, gentlemen by the name of Adolf Hitler yeah the final solution in, sounds like the final chapter in a video game like yeah. that's the only place it should be used not in yeah. real world policy yeah yeah um, there's not a whole lot to, to say about this but it's it's more just a disappointing thing that we we somehow are electing people and it's and unfortunately we we have a deep-rooted racism problem in this country um that continues to permeate through um i I feel like it's getting better but it's there's still so many events it's like uh, what greg miller always says is like eventually all these people will be dead yeah yeah no (laughs) they'll just get old and die and and And, i think that kind of i completely agree with that statement but i think again kind of to connect it back with the other story we just said is that there's always something mm. positive to get out of the story mm. is that the fact that this dude is on a massive platform and saying that mm. and then everyone around mm. him is like nah fuck this guy is a yeah. good thing and i think that's that is a huge step forward because there was a time where people would say that and then everybody in the room would cheer and clap or or agree yeah. right and i think that yeah. we're we're getting somewhere at least however slow we're getting there is uh, yeah. we're in a place now where people are in oh no 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 no, thank you. We don't want that. Yeah, exactly right. And he was, and he was shouted down by by quite a lot of people. Um, uh, Alan uh, MP Alan Tudge said Fraser Anning's comments on immigration did not reflect the views of the government nor the views of fair-minded Australians. We will always maintain a non-discriminatory immigration program. Uh, our Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull said, um, "You know, Australia is the most successful multicultural society in the world, built on a foundation of mutual respect. We reject and condemn racism in any form." Uh, Tony Burke, if we stay silent now, the voices of hatred get exactly what they want. Um, in response to this, and uh, Penny Wong talking about her parents coming here as immigrants from Malaysia, mm-hmm. they, she rejects. Everyone has basically shouted this guy down. Like, what a completely ridiculous tone deaf thing to say i mean there's not much more to say this is just that idiot yeah what an idiot so do you feel like the way that we're i mean i'm not a huge historian at all i'm not really mm. that into politics or news but do you think Mm. that the way that we're treating uh islam and stuff like that is kind of how we treated like air quotes the russians the red scare or whatever (laughs) do you feel like that's kind of like it's almost like not a propaganda thing but Mm. do you think that that's really how we're treating people of of Islamic descent, like that they're this othering and like, I feel like it's this, this global phenomenon, like no matter where you go, if you're not an is- Islamic or a Muslim, yeah. Muslim. primary yeah. country, everyone's like, oh man, you got to watch out the Muslim ban, the, the Muslim ban, the Muslim ban. Do you feel like that's kind of like mm. what's happening now in like, in our countries? I feel like it's almost like, it's almost something that we've never really experienced before. And the, I'm trying to think of like in history, history. So if you think of something like, talk about like the Japanese. Mm-hmm. So like after World War Two, you know, we, we really, you know, we're not, when I say we, I mean you, uh, the US <laughs> and, and I guess, you know, the Western, Western world took, you know, uh, like obviously there was the, the horrors of the, the Pacific battle and, yeah. and, and the, obviously the Hiroshima and Nagasaki, mm-hmm. um, you know, bombs and all that. And, and America kind of really, uh, I think they like put their arm around Japan in a way and, and really sort of, you know, 
that like rebuilt their country basically and um or helped to and so the, there's a lot of i think historically i've i can't remember there being something like this even with you know the did similar with the germans you know help rebuild you know their country you know, mm-hmm. um after world war Two, and i feel like now we're in a we're just in a very bizarre like i don't want to say i don't want to use the word dark but it's definitely dim Mm-hmm. Um, time in in our society where there's such a uh, a fear and a hatred towards this this group of people who I you know I've met a lot of Muslims and I've never met one bad one yeah. um, you know and and I think that if you ask and this is the other thing like I hear a lot of ridiculous comments and and like I said before like there's a deep rooted problem with racism in this country and you hear people talking about banning the burqa and this that and the other oh, and Jesus. someone someone I was having a conversation with someone and they were they were going on about oh you know they could be hiding something under there could be hiding a bomb or you know why do they have to wear this mask and I can't wear a mask and I was like I'm like can you tell and I asked this person I said can you tell me a time specific time a news story of something where you heard of a person a woman wearing a burqa committing a terrorist attack or an assault mm-hmm. or a robbery or anything mm-hmm. robbing a bank wearing a burqa can you think of one i don't know no i can't the the most high profile um story we've had in this country with someone wearing a burqa was our our most racist uh, politician pauline hansen walking into parliament wearing one to try and prove some kind of sick point oh, um so it's just you know it's a it's a problem so yeah. I, I don't know i mean like that's the thing is that i feel like the burqa from my understanding of it is a it's a religious connected garb right mm. so mm. the argument could be a, a priest could wear could have a gun underneath their like ceremonial garb right like there's stuff that we wear in the jewish community that like there are these like long robes or whatever yeah. you know just yeah. it's just the fact that i don't wear it every day right and yeah. i feel like it's just you could make this argument for literally every single religion in the world, I'm sure. But it just so happens that like these people are being targeted because they're the fucking, what is it? They're like the dead horse, right? We're beating this argument with the dead horse Mm. where like everyone's Mm. jumping Mm. on this argument saying that, Oh no, Mm. this is the way we have to think about it. This is, Mm. they're the problem, not us. Right. Yeah. The, the othering, the systematic othering of these people wearing these ceremonial garbs. And I feel like it's like you said, it's ridiculous. The argument has no weight. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's it, you know it happens. There's there's a big talk about African gangs and this kind of stuff in in Australia and the violence caused by African people and and that. But no one talks about the levels of violence caused by white men mm-hmm. in our country, which is far greater than any color, person of color or different you know re- who's defined by their religion. Um, so yeah, it's 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 just I guess we got to change the way we think as a society. Yeah. Our uh, onto our final story for the evening. The White House is in turmoil once again, as former aide Omarosa Manigault Newman releases her tell-all book about her time in the inner sanctum of the Trump administration. Mm. Omarosa was fired from the White House and has since revealed several secretly recorded conversations, including the one in which she is fired, and she says she has many more to come, including one potentially where she. Uh, alleges the president uses the Mm N-word. The Donald has responded in true Donald fashion, calling Omarosa a dog. Yeah. There is outrage oozing from all parts of this story, Ian. So let's let's dive right in. Um, I guess the first part 
Omarosa, mm-hmm. uh, releasing the book. Unhinged is the name of the book. Fun. I'm sure, it's a, it's a it's a fine read. This is like <laughs> the third or f- second or third book released by a former staffer since uh, Trump's been in office. So really, I didn't know that. Well, we had the um, the Michael Wolf book, um, Fire and Fury, mm-hmm. um, and now this one. And there's, I believe, there's another one, but maybe I maybe I imagined it. Um, what, what, do you, what do you make of this of this story? Another uh, a disgruntled Trump um, excommunicated colleague person. Yeah, what do, I mean, you, what do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I was the thing that got me interested about the story is that you know, I mean, Omarosa. She's a. Re, I'm pretty sure she's a former reality TV star, kind of yeah. similar to Donald Trump, right? And yeah, she, well, she got her start on The Apprentice. That's yeah. sort of her. Um, yeah, that's her, where she got her. So when I heard she was writing a book after getting fired, I was like, she's truly an opportunist. She's trying yes. to make, you know, like a reality TV star would. You know, yep. but Kim Kardashian made a billion dollar empire off of a sex tape. You know, and I feel like that's <laughs> yeah. kind of, like that's kind of the American dream is to spin things in a positive way after there's a huge negative backlash. Um, yep. And then there was a story. I think in her like little tell all thing, it was saying that. Mm. This one staffer confirmed that the tape existed to her in a private yeah. conversation, and then that's right. Yeah. Um, the, this staffer went on Fox News and said, "No, of course not. That conversation never happened." And then yeah. Omarosa was like, Omarosa. "No, I have the receipts," and then released that conversation that they had together, yeah. detailing exactly like word for word what she said. Yeah. And that was when I heard this story, and I was like, "Oh wow, no, Omarosa recorded it." everything like yeah. she's got everybody on lock like and if, that's when if, i was really impressed <laughs> if you're uh, i think any person who's been like had a private conversation with omarosa over the last decade is probably getting a bit nervous right now because she she's that, that leads a question like she who else is what other conversations has she recorded like what else has she got Her, so she the, <laughs> she got fired by general kelly mm-hmm. um in the situation room she th- like the situation room she recorded that full conversation in the situation in like the most secure like top secret classified room How? in the world and she records a conversation in there like this is a reality tv show i wouldn't even want to call her a star but like a reality tv show ex-contestant of the of celebrity big brother and the apprentice and she's recorded in the situation room it's it's very impressive if not a little bit uh brazen <laughs> it's pretty insane honestly uh it's um i mean it's just another sort of i mean it's almost we get these almost you know by the month you know a a, a former trump employee or girlfriend or someone comes out who's got a story about him and and i mean you can take omarosa with a grain of salt it's hard to sort of it seems there's a lot of um seems to be a lot of inconsistencies in her stories she says one thing one day she says something another maybe trump knew about her firing maybe he didn't he sort of knew there's a recording of him talking to her after she got fired where he doesn't seem to know about it it's it's all a bit it's just you know it's hard to really and of course these people are going to be discredited by the white house when they come out and they say oh we're going to tell we're going to blow the whistle on on the trump administration Mm -hmm. it's like what are any of these people like this is the other thing. What are any of these people who come out with these tell-all books and whistleblowing going to say that hasn't been said already that's going to do any damage? Mm-hmm. Like, this guy's weathering the storm, you know? I don't... I mean, yeah. There's nothing that you can really do to this guy to really 
make him look bad at this point. No, he does enough himself. Um, which then I guess moves to the to the the other thing that's really caused a lot of outrage on the other side of this is the um, the insult that he used to describe Amaro, so calling her mm-hmm. a dog. Um, quite a uh, egregious insult to throw around, especially to a to a black woman from a president as well. I mean, he's just he's just not very presidential, is he? No, definitely not. I mean, the the argument that I saw in response to that. Um, mm. was actually he calls from the everyone Phil- a dog yeah right? exactly was the, on yeah. the Philip DeFranco show that he calls like a bunch of people yeah. a dog and I guess kind of the theme of this episode is that there's always a deeper thing to it is yes, that the exactly, fact that the yeah. president has to dehumanize all the people that disagree with him and mm. most of those people happen to be African American people that he's dehumanizing there seems to be yeah. a threat I think Maxine Waters yeah. was another person that he was dehumanizing calling a dog I think yeah. he also called the NFL players dogs and you know yeah. Where there's smoke, there's fire, in my opinion, and and I feel like a lot of I don't think these this statement in particular is racially mm. motivated, but I think that mm. it, there is a connection between him dehumanizing those who are against him, and then it just so happens he also dehumanizes many people of color in his yeah. daily Twitter rants. Yeah, he's a um yeah he does he's he's just I still it's funny like I still have to pinch myself you know, every so often and be like, is this real life? Are we really, is this guy really the president of the United States? Surely not. Someone wake me up. Like this isn't, how is this even like a thing? Um, it's, it's bizarre. And then it's just, it's unprecedented actually is what it is. Like there's almost like a kind of like a, you've got to almost just stop and smell the roses for a little bit and go like, you know, hopefully mm-hmm. things will never be this crazy again because it's just like every day there's something. There's this Mueller investigation. There's, there's Kim Jong-un. There's stuff with Russia. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's scary, but it's also like wildly entertaining. You know, <laughs> watching this guy who's clearly inept yeah, and, and should definitely not be the president of anything, just running amok. Like, it's just crazy. It is just crazy. I completely agree with you. Hopefully things will (laughs) never get to a point, to this point ever again. Mm -hmm. Do you know what, though? And I've made this point on this show before, is that he's probably not the worst we're ever going to get now. He's, we're we're going to, and this is the thing, like, he's set the the bar mm-hmm. and he's, he's, he's set that precedent of like, hey, yeah, any kind of crazy fucker can get into the white house now. Mm-hmm. And so the next crazy fucker will probably be a lot worse. And then we'll, we'll look back and we'll go like we do now. People look back and go, remember George Bush. He was a good chap. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> and we'll look back and we'll look back and I hope this isn't reality, but I can see it being, and we'll look back and we'll go, remember Donald. Remember when he used to just tweet shit. <laughs> We could get we could get him back, couldn't we? Let's get him back in the chair. Um, so yeah, it's it's terrifying and scary, and I don't know what's it like. What's it like being an American in a in a Trump world? Um, I mean, when I used to live internationally, I feel like that question would come up all the time. They're like, "Oh, hey, mm. Trump said this. What do you think?" And I would be like, "I hate him, and I'm so glad that I'm not there." <laughs> And everyone would yeah. be like, oh, okay. I thought every American had like super American pride or whatever. Um, and yeah. I think that, I mean, like years previous, I mean, even during the George Bush era, I feel like people still had to a certain degree some form of like 
nationalism, like American pride. People were like proud to yep. say that they were an American no matter what the situation. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. You know, during Bill Clinton, even during that whole situation, I feel like people were still mm. proud Americans. But I think mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of entering an age where I think a lot of us aren't anymore. I think that we are all very either ashamed or we're very self-aware of, of the atrocities that our country commits on a global stage because of our president being so inept. Um, mm. And I feel like that's a good thing, I think. I think that as, as much as it sucks, our current presidential, presidential situation, you know, America as is rarely, I think, the good guy on the global stage. And I think yeah. that I think that if this presidency, if, if, the, if the only good thing to come out of this presidency is that Amer- all Americans take a step back and realize, like, wow, maybe we suck. Maybe, maybe there's something that we need to do to look at what mm. our image is and how we treat people globally. Mm. And, you know, to think with a wider lens. And I think mm. if that's the only thing that comes out of this, then I think that that's a net positive for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. You, you make some good points. You've made some great points tonight, Ian. <laughs> I try. I try and Very. take all the awful shit and spin it to a certain degree. That's what I like That's to do. Good. That's good. I like the way you think. You, you think outside the square, which is, which is a, is a um, is not often found. So I, I appreciate. I appreciate your insight. Thanks, man. It's been very good. Been very good. And um, yeah, I, I, I hope. I hope you know. Yeah, I hope you're you're right in that, and I hope that people that you can that the world and and America can look at themselves and go, you know, maybe we need to be better. But it's just such a big country, and there's just so many people. It's just to think that other way. <laughs> it's mm. okay. To ready to bring it around full circle. Mm. The first story that we had about the about the pilot, right? He didn't mm. realize there was a problem until it was too late. I hope mm. that we as an American people are not that man on the plane. I hope that we are stepping onto the plane and we can take a step back and realize, hey, maybe we have a problem. Maybe we need to look inward and realize that there's more to it than just this is our president. There's nothing we can do, right? The Americans are a people, not a president. And I think that mm. we need to realize that we as an American people need to to take, to take a step back and look inside and just say, we need a lot of we need a lot of stuff to do in the future and we have a lot of stuff to work on. And I think that that's what we need to do for first and foremost. First and foremost is to look inward as a people. Fantastically said. Thank you. And I think that's a magnificent place to leave it for this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of It Is What It Is. This has been a product of 8-Bit, and you can find all of our content over at 8bit.net or search the 8-Bit Collective hashtag on Twitter. And you can follow us on Twitter. Ian is at Ian, why not? I am at Cruzy underscore mate and 8-Bit is at we are 8-Bit on all of the socials. And if you've enjoyed this show, remember to head on over to iTunes, give us a subscribe, leave us a review. It does help get the word out about us. It helps us be discoverable. Ian, pimp away. Tell the lovely people, <laughs> the lovely listeners, where they can find you. You can find my work on youtube.com slash okbeast or at okbeast.com. And for all you Aussies out there, I do a show with an Australian, also known as NATO, you can find that at A Plus Anime, and that is on podcast services everywhere. We all, that is another thing we have in common, the burden of NATO. <laughs> <laughs> I love that boy so much. It is not a burden. He, uh, he brings joy to my day. But I agree, he, he is like the little brother. He's like everyone's little brother. You're like, oh, what did NATO do this time? <laughs> uh, NATO. 
God bless him. God bless him. <laughs> I was supposed, I'm putting him on blast, actually. I was supposed to be catching up with him for lunch tomorrow, but he's bailed on me. Wow. So, um, he's too yeah, famous. Um, he's too big for us now. He is. He is, yeah. He's too big. <laughs> he's my own, co- own co-host. And uh, he's too he's too important to, to, to have me out for lunch. Nevertheless, um, remember, guys, head on over. Give OK Beast to check out. They're a fantastic group of people over there making some awesome content. Some of the best content on the internet. So thank do thank head you. on over check that out make sure you listen to a plus anime if that is your jam or even if it's not i've heard it's a good show for getting people yeah to listen, that, that's to what we kind of that's like the whole purpose of the show i think is that the anime community we were talking earlier about you know the gaming community being pretty toxic but i think the anime communities also likewise can be pretty toxic and i think the whole point mm. of our show is we try and onboard people and we try and say hey you know if you like this thing maybe you will like this anime or oh maybe this mm. episode isn't for you or maybe you know we try and bring the new people in as nicely as we can Hmm. It's like NATO's mission in life to get me to watch more anime. <laughs> and and I love telling him that I really enjoyed the Castlevania anime. It really grounds his gears. I, hey, I, um, I liked that one. So don't feel too bad keeps, about it. He keeps telling me it's not anime. I'm like, nah, eh, it kind of looks like anime. It's animation, so. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you've got any questions for myself, uh, bad luck. I'm off See for the ya. next two weeks. Catch you later off to sunny Hawaii Ooh. for a uh, much-needed break and holiday. So the uh, the insatiable John O'Peck will be taking over the show for the Ooh. next two weeks. So uh, I leave it in his capable hands. But if you have any questions for Jono or his guests for the next two weeks, remember to send him an email at it is what it is at 8bit.net. Uh, and shout out, as always, to our amazing sponsors, Audio Technica, for hooking us up with all the best gear in the business. Ian, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you this evening. Thanks for having me on, man. We rarely talk about um, news and stuff like this on the OK Beast podcast, so I'm, I'm very pumped to talk about it with you. Thanks so much for having awesome. me. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. It's been absolutely amazing. Until next time, friends, it is what it is.